You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Thanks, Caitlin. So uh, today, sadly, we're finishing our sermon series, God for Us. And I say sadly because I've been enjoying it. Hopefully you guys have. It's been really impactful for me just studying this stuff and going through it. And it's um, uh, really grown closer to God through it and um, become more passionate about who he is and who he's called me to be. And so hopefully it's had a similar impact for you guys. If not, sorry, uh, you're missing out. Um, but because we've been going through this series and today's the conclusion, what I'm going to do first then is I'm just going to give a quick recap of, of what we've been going through for some of those who, who missed it or, or for those of us who have short-term memory like I do. Um, uh, because mostly what we're going to be talking about today is, is how we respond, or, or better yet, how we're changed by what we've been talking about. So we want to go through what we've been talking about, so it'll make sense. So here we go, recap. Over the course of the last five weeks, five weeks before this, we've been talking about how God is simply but astoundingly for us. He doesn't need to be, right? We haven't done anything to deserve it, but he is. He's for us because it's who he is. That's his nature. That's his character to be for us. He's a compassionate and gracious God. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's who he is. In fact, that's exactly how God describes himself to Moses in Exodus 34. And that's the God that we've been seeing and and that we've been studying through his word over this series, a God who pursues us relentlessly, right? A God who overcomes all of our obstacles and comes to us, right? We're not overcoming obstacles to get to him. He overcomes our obstacles to come to us in our messiness and our, and our brokenness and our sin in order to find us and carry us home. He's a God who comforts us and weeps with us and over us in our brokenness. He's a God who's faithful to his covenant with us, even when we cheat on him and rebel against him. He's the God, the only God, who's for us. And we found as well that that Jesus, the Son of God, is that perfect image and revelation of a God who's for us, right? The steadfast shepherd who, who came to find us and save us, to lay down his life for us. Also that we could be covered in his perfect righteousness, 
right? His goodness, his, his holiness, and gathered into God the Father's arms. And where we find the God the Father rejoicing and singing and partying over us. Yes, partying over us. Because thanks to the grace of Jesus, we're finally home with him. Because we were once lost, but now we're found. Once dead, but now alive. So Jesus reveals the God who's for us. That's what we've been talking about over the last five weeks. And what we're really describing here, what we've been describing when we say that God is for us, is that God loves us. Right? God loves us. I don't know about you, but for me, that's, that's a crazy thought. As, as a husband, uh, there are days where, where I'm astounded that my wife can even love me because uh, I'm a selfish idiot sometimes. So, so grasping or, or receiving this idea that, that the God of the universe can and does love me, that's crazy. And that he loves us so much that Jesus would take his, our sin upon himself. First John 4, 9 to 10 says, This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent his only son into the world so that we can live through him. This is love. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice that deals with our sins. So Jesus intentionally and, and humbly died for sinners at the cross. Died for his enemies, us so that we can live. That's an, that's an intense kind of love. A perfect love that, that underlines and fulfills all these characteristics of God that we've been talking about in this series. A love that's for us. A love that's for us. So it's no surprise then that, that, that in regards to that love, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Thessalonian church. Second Thessalonians 3 verse 5 it says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. His prayer here is that the, the Lord would lead them, the Thessalonian church, lead them to continually and deeply experience or know this amazing, steadfast, unconditional, and relentless love of God. Because it's an amazing kind of love. He wants them to know it, to be directed to it. And of course, this is my, my prayer for all of you as well. But bear with me here, because there's even more to this verse than just knowing God's love in our hearts. There's more to it than just receiving God's love. We often, re- we often receive God's love, right? And then, and then we hold on to it. And we keep it to ourselves, right? But there's more to it than that. So let's read the verse again. But this time I want to read it from a different translation. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5, CEB version, Common English Bible version. says, May the Lord lead your hearts to express God's love and Christ's endurance. Okay, so linguistically, the two verses are similar, right? The same, same verse, different translations. But if you look closely, they're translated a little bit differently and therefore have a little bit of a different meaning to each of them, right? So if we take a look at the first translation of this verse again, like I said, its emphasis is about who God is, to know God's love, to be directed to God's love and to Christ's steadfastness. The second translation, though, has a different focus. It leans more toward emphasizing our actions, how we're to respond to who God is, for our hearts to express God's love and Christ's endurance. 
So one is asking the Lord to direct our hearts to know the love of God, and the other one for us to express God's love. Right? Just so we're clear, one translation is about receiving God's love, the other is about reflecting and proclaiming it. So we have to ask and say, wait a minute, this is the same verse, you know, one translation must be wrong, the other one must be right. Which one is it? How do we know? And here's what I think. Neither translations are wrong. Neither translations are wrong. In fact, they're both 100% correct. And and now you're thinking, Pastor Greg, how could that be? Right? Everyone's thinking that, right? How could that be? Um, (laughs) Simple. They're both right because experiencing God's love and expressing God's love are actually one and the same or rather two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. To encounter God is to be changed by God. If we know God, we'll proclaim God. More, specific, more specifically, if we know the love of God, we'll begin to love others. 1 John 4.14 We love because God first loved us. We love because God first loved us. This isn't a choice. This isn't a choice. This is what happens when God loves us, right? Loving others is the resulting side effect of God loving us. That's what happens when God loves us. We start to love others. It's not a choice. So how are we changed by a God who's for us? We become for God. That's one of the most amazing things about God's love. It transforms us into his likeness. And we've been talking this whole series, right, about how God's for us, how he pursues us and finds us and forgives us and loves us just as we are, which is amazing. It's amazing that he would love us and and receive us just as we are. But again, there's more to it than that. As Timothy Keller writes, God sees us as we are. He loves us as we are and accepts us as we are. But by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. Do we get that? And he freely and joyfully forgives and receives us where we're at in our, in our sin and our brokenness and our guilt and our shame and our self-righteousness, right? He, he, he receives us where we're at. But he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to remain where we're at. And some people might be offended at that. Well, why can't he just love me the way I am and just let me, let me be who I am? Well, think of it like this. If you, if you came to my house, I have, a, I have a nine-year-old son. I have a five-year-old son too, but this is about my nine-year-old son. Um, if you came, came to my house and, and you saw him in his room, and he's in, a, he's in a crib, and he's still wearing diapers, and he can't talk, and he can't feed himself, and, but he's you know healthy mentally, physically, there's no excuse, but yet he's in a crib wearing diapers, barely able to talk, pretty much exactly the condition I found him in, would you call me a loving dad? No. You'd call child services, right? In the same way, would God truly love us if he left us in the condition we were in when he found us? No, he wouldn't. A loving father desires to see his children grow and flourish and be who they were called to be which is what he does, which is why God's love does more than just forgive us and save us. It also molds us and and compels us to live like him and for him. 
Second Corinthians 5, 14 to 15 says, for the love of Christ controls us. And sometimes control is translated as compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The moment that we truly encounter the God who's for us at the cross of Jesus, the moment we encounter that God is for us is the moment we become for God. His love doesn't just save us, it compels us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So again, this is not an optional outcome of salvation. This is the heart's cry of every Christian. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? Not just eternal life, but new life, empowered by his spirit within us, new purpose. Sam Storms writes this. He says, God's love has showered us with salvation. We revel in the new life he has graciously granted, but life alone is not the ultimate aim of God's grace. Love is. God's love is made complete in us when we obey his word to love others as he has loved us. Which means the love of God is never the end of Christian experience. It is the beginning. Being loved by God launches us into service and proclamation and generosity. So God doesn't, doesn't just love us and then, and then leave us at that. And say, I love you, and then just, just leave us to our own, our own ends. He also wants, as John writes, his love to be perfected in us. To be completed in us. And this is certainly a journey, right? This is a process of of growing and and removing sin and and pruning and and learning. But ultimately, it's a heart change. From the very get-go, it's a heart change. It's a new desire to to live for God and, and to live for others rather than ourselves only. A desire to obey his commandments and worship him above all else. Whenever I talk about obeying his commandments, I, wanna, I always want to say this. I don't want us to misunderstand because, again, obeying his commandments doesn't gain our salvation, doesn't, doesn't gain God's favor. As it says in 1 John 4.15, if any of us confess that Jesus is God's son, God remains in us and we remain in God. Right? We're saved through faith in Jesus. That's, that's where our salvation comes from. That's, that's a one-time act at the cross that Jesus accomplished. Jesus won the victory for us. But the evidence of our salvation, the fruit of our salvation will be evident through our proclamation of him, through our words, through our actions. Again, we love because he first loved us. And so if we're not loving others, if we're not loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves, the two greatest commandments, right? Then we have to ask ourselves, why? We have to ask ourselves why. Think of, think of it like this. Say you've been living unhealthy for years, right? You just you do nothing. You just eat a lot and sit on your couch, right? And then you decide for yourself, all right, it's time, time to stop this. It's time to hire a personal trainer. 
at some gym, right? Get my life back on track. So, so you do, and, and you go to your first workout session with your personal trainer, and here's what's going to happen. That personal trainer will accept you where you're at, right? They're not going to say, oh, you're not fit enough. Get out of here. No, they're going to accept you where you're at, right? And they won't judge you. They won't criticize you because that personal trainer is going to be stoked that, that you decided to, to come to them and find them and turn your life around, Right? They're going to encourage you and, and, and rejoice over the fact that you, that you want to get fit and get healthier. And they believe that you can get healthier. In the same way as we come to God in repentance, there's no condemnation. There's no wrath. There's no, there's no judgment. There's grace and there's joy and there's singing. He's rejoicing because we've placed our trust in him and our faith in him. But then say you've been meeting with your personal trainer twice a week for months and that, and that you've also been given a detailed chart of how to eat healthier throughout, throughout the week. And you've been given a list of exercises to do at home when you're not with the personal trainer. But yet, you're actually not getting any fitter. You're not getting any healthier. Your endurance is still poor. You still can't do a push-up. You're actually gaining weight and not the muscle kind of weight. I think at that point, it would be safe to assume that you haven't fully embraced uh, the teaching of your personal trainer, right? I think it would be safe to assume that you haven't bought in. There's no fruit. The evidence actually points to the contrary, right? And in the same way, we can't just receive the love of God and continue on with our our self-centered lives, just as is. 1 John 4, 8 and 19 to 20 says, the person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. We love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates a brother or sister, he is a liar because the person who doesn't love a brother or sister who, who can be seen can't love God who can't be seen. If we're not loving like God loves us, if instead we're, we're bitter with one another or critical and impatient with one another or refusing to be generous with one another, or even if we're just not making any attempt to love, we're just keeping to ourselves, then we have to honestly ask ourselves and humbly ask ourselves, maybe we haven't truly received or understood the love of God. Maybe we don't fully grasp how much God loves us. Because if we have, we'd act like it, right? And I'm not speaking of anyone in particular here, of anyone in mind. Our, our church is pretty great and loving community, and I love this church, and I'm happy and excited for it. But I'm bringing that up to say that this is why it's so important that we keep reminding ourselves of who God is and how much he loves us. It's, this is why it's so important to be consistent in our prayer life and our worship life and in our reading and studying of the word, because just as Paul prayed for the Thessalonians, we need the Lord to continually direct our hearts to his love and steadfastness so that we, in turn, can shine with the love of God and steadfastness of Christ to the world. If we get lazy in seeking God and reminding ourselves that he's for us, then we'll get lazy in living for him. It's as simple as that. In the, in the Old Testament, quite often God tells his people to build monuments so that they don't forget that it was God who saved them, that it was God who restored them. And he, and he does that because God knows, right, that, that if we forget God's love, 
we start to roll back into our old nature. And we, saw the, we see the evidence of that in the Old Testament over and over again, right? As God saves and restores his people, and then they forget. And then they revert back and start worshiping other gods and all that kind of stuff. In the same way, if we don't continually remind ourselves that God is pursuing us relentlessly, that he's filled with compassion and mercy for us, that he's singing and rejoicing over us, that that he died for us to, to save us and bring us home, that he loves us, then we'll forget who we are. We'll forget that we're called to love others like that too. As it says in 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. It's not that complicated, right? It's simple. Love each other because we're loved by God. There's also a a bigger purpose behind our call to love one another as well. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ, to be the visible representation of him on this earth, to be the light of Christ to the world. He's chosen us for this. He's chosen us for this, the church, the body of Christ, to be his image bearers and proclaim his gospel. If you look at our uh, church's purpose statement on the back wall there, some of you are like, there's a purpose statement on the back wall? I just walk right by it. There's a lot of good stuff on the walls back there. Um, but if you, if you look at our church's purpose statement, you'll find that at the, the top it says that our, that our passion statement is this. To proclaim the name of Jesus for the glory of God. That's our passion, to proclaim the name of Jesus for the glory of God. And we call it our passion, not our vision, because we're not a business. We call it our passion because it's not just a commandment we want to fulfill. It's our passion. We've encountered the living God through the grace of Jesus Christ, and we want the world to know and to see. We want the world to know the good news of salvation. We want the world to see the light of Christ shining in and out from this place. From each of you. This is our passion. To love God by worshiping him and declaring his name. To love our enemies. As hard as that can be. Because Jesus died for us while we were his enemies. And we can do this by praying for them and and befriending them. And and showing them our love. Just as Jesus ate and became friends with, with tax collectors and sinners alike. And we want, it's our passion to love God by loving one another. Right? Because God loves us. And we love one another by having grace and patience and understanding with each other. Right? By being quick to forgive one another. By bearing one another's burdens. By being generous with one another. By laughing and crying with those who are laughing and crying. By removing any critical or judgmental attitudes, knowing that none of us are perfect, right? that none of us have it all together theologically yet, none of us have it all together spiritually yet, none of us have it all together emotionally yet, but that the thing that bonds us and unites us is the one who does. 
And finally, we love God by loving the broken and needy because Jesus loved us when we were broken and needy. And he loves us when we are broken and needy. And we love them by having compassion and mercy on them, by pursuing them relentlessly wherever they're at. With the good news of Jesus and with generous and sacrificial hearts. And since we're on the subject, I'm excited because next week at church, we're going to be hearing from representatives from charities and nonprofits throughout Lethbridge, which will hopefully give us ideas and opportunities and how we can go as community groups or individuals, how we can go and love those in need. Again, social justice isn't the gospel in and of itself, right? But loving and serving others in this way is a genuine expression of it. And so I'm I'm excited for next week. Invite lots of people. Should be good. And Jesus said, right, that as we love the least, we're loving him. As we serve the least, we're serving him. And in the same vein, that as we love one another, the world will know his love. And that brings us to one of the the main themes that that I hope that we can come away with in this series is that God has been showing us that love is intentional. Right? God's not waiting for an opportunity to love us, right? The shepherd left the 99 sheep to find the one. The father was waiting, and as soon as he saw his son way off, he ran to him. Love doesn't wait for an opportunity. Right? Love, God, God came to us. He pursues us. Love creates opportunities and seeks out those who need it. Right? Love creates opportunities and seeks out those who need it. This is how we're called to love as well. To go. To intentionally go and find or create opportunities to serve and make disciples. It's the Great Commission. Right? Go and make disciples. Because again, love pursues. It doesn't sit around and wait for someone to ask for help. Love pursues. And it does so boldly and joyfully as well. As we've seen with God, boldly and joyfully. For the joy set before him, Christ went to the cross. Love goes boldly and joyfully. And I say that because one of the the greatest hurdles for us in going out and serving and and spreading the gospel and loving others is our fear, right? It's our fear. Fear of what people will think. Fear that that what we're doing won't be effective. Fear that that we're not ready. Fear of how people will respond. The the list goes on and on and on and on and on. We have all these excuses, but they're, they're built up from fear. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. Perfect love drives out fear. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? Knowing that God is for us, knowing that we're equipped with His Spirit, knowing that we have a church body backing us up, right? All these things should give us confidence to go out boldly and joyfully and spread the gospel and love, 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 love. 
And this brings us back full circle to the, to the passage that started this whole series. A passage that reminds us that since God is for us, that nothing can separate us from him. That we are more than conquerors through him and all these things that try to separate us. And that therefore filled with his spirit who brings life, we have nothing to fear as we go out and proclaim and prove the love of God to this world. As we go out and proclaim the name of Jesus for the glory of God. So I feel like it would be fitting to end my message and this whole series with the passage that started it all. And then we'll receive the Lord's Supper. So it's just as I read this passage, it might, be, it might be good to close your eyes or just set your heart on the Lord as I'm reading this. Um, just really set your hearts to, to receive what the word of the Lord says here. Romans eight thirty one to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are no words to express how amazing your love is. How astounding your love is. How shocking your love is. That you would seek us out and find us and pursue us. That you would take compassion over us. That you would be faithful to us even though we wander. That you would die for us at the cross so that we could come home to you to find you singing and rejoicing over us. Lord, there are no words to express. But how we are called to express you, Lord, is by loving others in the same way that you loved us, Lord God. And I pray that you would show us and teach us and and give us that passion through the power of your Holy Spirit within us to love like you've loved us. As we receive your love, as we learn more about how you love us, as we grow in our understanding of your love and what you did for us, Lord God, I pray that we would grow in in how we love others and, and spread your love and prove to the world that you are the God who loves us.
Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and, and creative opportunities and ideas and how we're to go and be generous and, and, and love and serve this community, Lord. So that your love will be known. Lord God, we glorify your name and we lift you up. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.